right, hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of our Burden of Leadership podcast uh, with me and the A-Team. My name's Paulton Haken, uh, here with my guys Tammy and Dysart uh, and Vani Hareri. Uh, thanks for joining us again for another episode. Guys, how we been doing? Everything good? Good, man. A lot of stuff going on, always, but yeah, good. good, blessed. Well, uh, we're blessed to live in, uh, in the 605 in Sioux Falls, and it's a community that we love. Uh, that we all invest a lot of time into. Um, but we also have to always be fighting for that community yeah. uh, and make sure it doesn't become a community we don't recognize, right? And I think that's actually what we talked about the topic of today being is how do we prevent our community from becoming a community we don't recognize. And part of that is uh, just being proactive in the way that you implement policy, implement programs, the way that you're uh, developing leaders. But... Um, Tamian, what's your initial thoughts on that? How do we grow this community to be a community that when we look back on it someday, we say, man, only if, if, if we only had done this or if we only had done this, how do we prevent that um, from happening? Because there's a lot of communities I know over the last few years who I've watched honestly go, I don't want to say down the tubes, but at one point they were Sioux Falls, South Dakotas in, t in terms of their size, in terms of the diversity makeup, in terms of other things. And I think they'd like some do-overs. Yeah. And we're lucky in that we're at this point right now where, where we're at this critical juncture where we have the ability to make the change and do the things and implement the policies that prevent us from getting too far off the rails one way or the other. So what are your thoughts on that? I think you have to, A, who are we learning from? Right. It's easy to get caught up now. Every community is different size, population, makeup, history, but there's a lot of commonalities. Right. So when you look up the road to some of those communities that used to be really good and thriving, what was what was the tipping point? So, so, so how do you study what are those key factors that make up the tipping point where it became something where it's too large, too big, and then you don't have the community that you want. Right. And the community you don't recognize. And so I think part of it is starting with studying out history study out what happened in those communities and asking ourselves, how do we prevent that? Because that's what's amazing, how many people don't learn from in a day and age with, with internet and mm -hmm. all the different, you can pop down the road and talk to some people from previous communities that uh, ended up in a place they didn't want to be. Mm -hmm. do, you have, do you have in your mind an aspiration? I mean, we're 210,000 people in Sioux Falls, 270, 280 in the MSA. So do you have an aspirational community or city in that 500 to a million, you know, range that you've visited? Like, this is a great city. How have they done this? How have they kept it together? Um, and I'll start. For me, a community that I've always loved, I've visited there several times, is I love Oklahoma City. And I don't pretend to know their policies or where they're at with, you know, school age poverty rates and all these other things, but they've invested a lot of money in kids and in their education system. And they have a local option sales tax program. That's just Oklahoma city used to be a dive. Right. And back in the nineties, they had a chance to get, I think it was like the FedEx HQ or something like that. And they lost the bid and they put in all these incentives out on the table and everything. And, and, they asked the site selectors, like, what, do, what could we have done differently to, to win this business, to get this company here? And they said, listen, you guys did everything right. We just couldn't picture having our employees have to live in Oklahoma City. Which is like, oh, 
like <laughs> gut punch, yeah, man. Like I mean, that's that's great, long. but <laughs> so someone says that about your city, you're like, okay, we got some work to do. So they implemented uh, it's called the Maps program. It stands for Metro Area Projects, and um, what that is is they lobbied their state legislature to allow them to implement a voter-approved one-cent sales tax. So, not to get too political and too nerdy, but we talk about how do you keep a community evolving, it takes money. Programs take money, schools take money. So what happens is, every four or five years, Oklahoma City will bring forward a set of four or five initiatives. They'll say, we need a new high school, mm -hmm. and that's 200 million. We need a new baseball stadium, that's 100 million. We need to expand our homeless shelter, that's 50 million. And we need to do this new infrastructure bridge project, which is another 50 million. That's, let's say that's 500 million. They then take that package to the voters and they say, do you like this package? And you don't vote on individual things. You're like, you're voting on the totality of the package. And they say, yeah, I would like it. And they either vote up or down. If they vote yes, they put on a one cent sales tax that funds those projects in their totality. And they pay cash for all these things. And as soon as they get them all paid for, the tax expires and they bring together a new package. And like their last maps was maps for kids. It was all kid focused initiatives. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I share that example to go back to my question about do you have an aspiration for me? Mine is Oklahoma City, because I've just I've loved some of the progressive stuff they've done like that to keep their city moving forward. Uh, for me personally, I haven't I don't know enough depths because again, I think some of the uh, any community is only as good as its weakest links. So in visiting it, like we always, we're, we're big You uh, see the foodies. good stuff. We see the good stuff. We, he he mm -hmm. finds the best places to eat. Um, you see the cool stuff. And, and again, the day-to-day -day being in this community, right, you know that the impediments of homelessness or how you're dealing with crime or recidivism or all these different things, like those are the makeups that you're only as good as your weakest links. So without knowing those weakest links, um, you know, that's a big part. So how about you? What, what's, what's your sense on that? It's the same thing. I think about... You know, my ideal city is, you know, Sioux Falls 10 years from now. That's how I try to think about it. I really try to keep my mind in that place. Because, again, we go to places and we enjoy it to a degree. But even when I go, and this is why I'm not envious of other places. When I go to visit my friends, whatever the cool thing is, whatever the thing that happens in the core of the downtown or that restaurant or whatever, they almost never go unless I come because it's a hassle. The traffic the parking, the blah, 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 blah. So I enjoy those things that they say they live there for as much as they do and I don't live there. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I kind of put that to the side. And then for me, when we talk about this idea of um, uh, um, a city that we recognize, recognition is akin to familiarity. Most people only recognize what they have seen. And most people have only seen what they've actually come into contact with, which is why I think it's so important that you have to have a, a vision as a community because you could be familiar with it because you've seen it, but that doesn't mean you have to be drawn from the past all of the time. And so if your community doesn't have a vision, it's never gonna wanna go do that. It's never seen it before, it's unfamiliar. You know what I mean? Except for when we've been talking about an environment, we've been visioning an environment of, of where we could go. The other piece of it for me is, is that harmony is akin to homogeny, right? So most communities are harmonious when everybody thinks the same, feels the same, has the same religion, comes from the same place, eats the same food. Like if you're in Northwest Iowa and you're Dutch, you're going to get along fine. You know what I mean? If that's not the case, you might find it more challenging. Mm -hmm. So now we're at a place where as things become more diverse, experience diverge, people's political spaces diverge, all those type of things diverge, it gets more challenging, which is why I always tell people, 
we're not special, we're early. We give ourselves way too much credit, mm. right? Everybody's been thinking the same, feeling the same, flowing the same. When you add a couple hundred more thousand people here for some different uh, expectations and want some different things and all that, it's gonna get weird. Mm -hmm. It's gonna get weird. That's just the nature of it. And if you don't build those fabrics or the fibers within the fabric of community, which is conversation, challenge, all those type of things, that stuff is gonna rear its head. You're not gonna have a cachet as a community to be able to tackle those things if everything is garage up and garage down. So, so you talked about in that, that was good stuff. You talked about it, having a vision for a community. Yeah. Like, what would you guys say is the vision for Sioux Falls? If you said, are, one, are we a visionary community? Yes or no. And if we are, like, what is the 10 year vision? Because I yeah. kind of know how I would answer yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm curious how you guys would answer that because. Yeah, I, kick it off. Give me, yeah, give me your yeah. two cents on the first. Oh, uh, well, um, what I'm trying to do in, in the office is build a community that in 10 years is one of the best communities in the because I, yeah, because I, I, I believe that if a city is good for kids, it's good for everyone. Because if yeah. kids are doing good, that means they got yeah. enough to eat at school, the schools are good, the transportation's good that they can get to school, they're staying out of trouble and they're doing the right things after school, so youth crime is down, and that just dovetail, and there's child care access is not a problem. I mean, if, if you take all the barriers and all the obstacles away for kids, you got a great community on a lot of levels. So a lot of times when I'm making decisions, I'm looking at it through this lens of kids and families. Like, is this good for kids and families? If it is, I want to do it. So aspirationally, I want to be known as a, as a city that's like, man, if you want to raise a family and have a place that's good for your kids, you go to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, because mm -hmm. it's the best city in the country for kids. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, my vision being obviously evident by, by the work that we do is really focusing on those underserved populations, right? Again, the community, in my opinion, is only as good as its weakest link or the underserved population. So when you look at, you know, again, I say it's, we can make all these lists of best places to live where it's easy. Like we're, thri we're a thriving community in a lot of ways, very well-off businesses, individuals. And so we are doing really well in a lot of ways. Now, again, the city was constructed that way. I think there's a lot of things that, that uh, feed to that narrative. But when it comes to the hard stuff, like we suck like everybody else. Homelessness, mm -hmm. you know, um, how people you know, rehabilitate after coming out of incarceration, some of those type of things. And I, how, do you, how do you build those type of things to really tackle the hard issues that oftentimes, too often, it's left to a, a select few. And then even in your chair, where what are you doing about these things like one person uh mm -hmm. i have some influence over these things but i can't control all these type of things and so what i'm envisioning is is building that connectivity mm -hmm. because one thing i always say you can't have a compassion from a distance and how do you start to really connect the people with some of the resources i don't want to say just to care more but to connect it to because people like that they're connected, they give, they're a huge reason why we're thriving. But once you get tethered to some of the frontline problems, you care differently. Yeah. And you engage differently. Yeah. I don't I don't think we're a visionary community to answer the question directly. I think we are a community that has visionaries in it, like most. And I think you see it happening where, where people have visions of, of what it is that they're trying to do. I don't think there's a cohesion to it yet. I don't think we're at a point where we can really address things with boldness yet. I don't think we're fully innovative yet. I think in terms of in the state, we naturally lead for a lot of reasons 
being the, the population base that we have and all those other type of things. But I think when we look at the region and things of that nature, we don't do a ton of stuff that gives you nerves and makes you say, hmm, this could go wrong, right? And those are usually the things that you need <laughs> to, to, to go right, to really challenge something. And I think we're just getting in and around that phase where we can start to think beyond, Sioux Falls is a great place to live. Everything has to be preference with that. Hey, don't get me wrong, Sioux Falls is a great place to live, great place. We get it, all that's true. It just won't stay that way if we don't address the things that we don't do well. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean that it has to have a negative tone. That doesn't mean that it has to be pessimistic because there are people who will come at you and just say, here's a problem. Mm -hmm. And that's not attractive. Nobody wants to really dive into that. But there's something to be said for how do we innovate? And in many ways, how do we leapfrog? We spend so much of our time catching up to communities. Like, well, look what they're doing. Look what they're doing. Why aren't we doing that? Versus saying, like, what's the best case scenario, the best version of this, period, mm -hmm. with no context to anyone else except for us? That I don't feel like we fully stepped into. And I yearn for the day. A lot of the work that we do with Leaders of Tomorrow is populating the people for that. You don't just get to do that because you want to. Mm -hmm. You, you got to develop young people that understand big picture, that think beyond just their experience and consider other people's experiences and people who are open to the idea of things that may make them feel uncomfortable as being positive. And so that work has to be done. And that's the trick about communities. That's the thing that people don't get is that they feel like when the need is there, we'll meet the need. Well, guess what? It doesn't work like that. You have to be dealing with stuff a decade out. Yeah. <laughs> or else how do you get yeah. ready? Yeah. Yeah, there's even things in Sioux Falls today that it, like we're, we're having to play catch up on stuff, you know, that I'm like, man, I wish we had tackled some of this stuff a lot earlier. And honestly, one of the things that, you, that we've talked about before, um, you know, not only on this podcast, but we talk about all the time is embracing, you know, our first and second generation immigrant youth. Yeah. That... There's a there's a tsunami of diversity that's coming up right now mm -hmm. in our school system, and uh, I just feel like our community has not done a super great job mm -hmm. in recognizing that and creating the opportunities for all those kids that are now emerging from mm -hmm. that high school layer, and that they're looking to stay in the workforce here and stay in Sioux Falls, and, and so. Um, to the title of the podcast, you know, this episode being a community you don't recognize 10 years from now, this will be a workforce that people 20 years ago won't recognize. 100%. You know, and so I think the challenge with that, and you say we got visionaries, but we don't have a vision. I think one of the challenges of that is that the elected officials like myself, we rotate and change every four or eight years. Right. So if you're looking at a vision for a community to be driven by elected officials, their time is finite. It's got to be like baked into the culture, into yes. the fabric of the community. That's like independent of who's ever in city hall or on a city council or the chamber president or whoever. Because those people, we all just turn over. Yeah. The people in the community stay, right? Yeah. I think that's the hard part. I'm, you know, we just were doing the Vision Sioux Falls update every 10 years. And the, in the newest one, they had 1,800 which was their highest number to date, 1,800 people out of the 210,000 participate in this survey. And amongst our spheres, we were trying to get, again, more diversity, all these things, again, just low numbers. And I think that's one of the biggest challenges that face us is how do we get groups from these populations to participate? 
mm-hmm. and part of the problem again versus I can't buy into the stigmas, all those type of things. So how do we how do we got to overcome that? But as you look at the horizon of this, you know what what concern? What's one thing that concerns you about what we're potentially becoming that could make us a community that we don't recognize in a, in a, a way we don't? What's what's something that keeps you up at night? I mean, co- couple things that keep me up at night. One is an area that you guys are heavily involved in, and that's uh, justice reform and dealing with people that are in the justice system and then coming out of the justice system and not having opportunities to be successful so they fall right back into the trap that got them there. Um, I think this community and the state has done a very poor job at, at rehabilitation of people who have been impacted by our criminal justice system. Yeah. Um, and so thinking that all of a sudden a light bulb's just going to go off in a guy's mind and say, you know what, I'm done being a criminal without providing him or her any resources is silly. So that's one thing that makes me nervous and keeps me up at night. The second is um, the lack of of real strong programming and focus. We're putting on youth in the fourth to 10th grade kind of age bracket there. Like those, that's a critical, critical time for kids. And if we don't give them good role models, give them good after-school activities, uh, make sure they're properly resourced to, you know, to, to do their schooling correctly and everything, uh, those kids are going to be uh, challenges when they become 18, 19, 20-year-olds. So those are two things that just, I think, have the potential to turn us in a community we don't recognize. Because no, no, no guy who commits a homicide at 21 planned to do that when he was 13. It's like, so what happened? from 13 to 21 that led him to do that. And that's if they stay. And that's if they stay. That's, that's if, if they, they stay. stay. Right. And that's especially when you have the data, like the data I was talking to some folks in the school district, like they can, they can see from coming into middle school, the, the, it, you can see all the behaviors. And again, to your point, there's just a lack of like, we can see it on paper. The odds of by seventh grade, when you're having truancy issues, the likelihood of you going to prison is like 90%. Mm-hmm. But there's where's the resources to help tie that? But then that seventh grader turns into an adult at some point, and now you just you should know better. You should just X Y Z based off of what? Yeah. Well, for me, and that's a prime example of the thinking, right? What I'm really challenged by, and even the conversations we have on this podcast, I'm excited about just getting into some of those things that just don't get intellectualized or communicated in like a real intelligent way. And that's the thing that always scares me is the way that we have these conversations are in tropes and one-liners, you do the crime, you do the time. That's, that is great for a bumper sticker. It is not policy. It doesn't consider the nuances. It doesn't consider the, the dissonance that has to happen when you have to choose between an undesirable option and a more undesirable option that the best option don't always feel good. Mm-hmm. And so when we think about, let's just take you know, our public policy on justice and things of that nature. We have a revenge policy, not a rehabilitation policy. You know what I mean? We don't think of justice as what you do for the victim. We think of justice as what you do to the offender. And then we don't think about the circumstances of the offender because if we had to think about the circumstances, we think we're providing people excuses for their behavior versus understanding the dynamics of a person's behavior. Mm-hmm. And when you don't evaluate why a person did a thing, the habits that went into it, the thought process that went into it, the social constructs that went into it, 
then you're guaranteeing that you're not going to create any policy that affects those things. Mm -hmm. And if you don't affect those things, that, I never thought I would be quoting Papa John's in this case, but better ingredients, <laughs> better pizza, right? So if you're not affecting the stuff that's going in it, you're going to have some flaw coming out of it. Even right now, as we talk about the potential of having a, a, a prison being added to our community, right? Um, there's a lot of logics that add that don't make sense. And that's a, it's a touch point for people. And there's two things I get engaged by that. One is we probably do need a new prison, not because we want to have more beds or more prison spaces, but we need to rethink what prison is. How we're, how we're rehabilitating and treating people. Totally. The whole nine, the whole shebang of that thing. We need to think about whatever. Why in the world? What, it's like classrooms. Why in the world would I be teaching you in this environment when this is the last time you'll be in it? What sense does that make? You're never going to sit in a row with people like this again and, and work. We put a person in this situation and then we say, boom, now I'm going to take you and I want you to be successful in this situation. From an educational perspective, that makes zero sense whatsoever. But we're committed to it because we don't want them living too good when we're supposed to be punishing them. Well, okay, if 80% of these folks are going to get out, what sense does that make? And so it's those type of things. We just don't have those conversations in a really robust, thoughtful way. It's just kind of one-liners and just well, kind of so, rhetoric. You know, in, in our community, for those who are listening who aren't familiar with what's going on in South Dakota, there's, there's dollars that are likely going to be appropriate to build a new state men's and women's prison. Mm -hmm. the, the current men's prison is located here in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. It was built in, I think, 1890. Mm -hmm. 1890 still being used in the same way it was in 1890. Uh, but in the meantime, um, there's also been very few rehabilitation services and programming that have been added to that place right. as well. Right. So as if we build this new facility, which looks like it's going to happen, we have a chance to also have the facility built and constructed and designed in a way that can deliver the right services to those men. And, and I say men, because it's a men's prison in Sioux Falls, those men who not only need the rehabilitation, but want it. Now, I've also seen guys that they don't want to get better. Yeah. Not everyone is rehabilitatable. For sure. You know, there are people who um, they, uh, they're stuck and they don't want to get unstuck. You can mm -hmm. only help people who want to be helped, right? And who want to get better. And a lot of them do. But even that's linear. Like that might be today. It may be different two years. And from he now. may change his mind. Right. And exactly. And that's what I'm hoping this new facility that the state is looking at, not to get too far down policy. Right, right, right. When we talk about a community we don't recognize, a lot of times communities that we look at, they're like, man, what happened there? There's oftentimes a crime aspect to it. It's mm -hmm. like, what happened? That thing went so off the rails with crime there. Like what, what policies changed? What facilities did they not invest in or did invest in or invest in the wrong way? How did they not invest in their youth? you know, and mm -hmm. make sure that the kids were being taken care of, so. And all the interconnectivity, like again, you, all know, connected. you got that prison there, you got homelessness that goes up because yes. people get out and they have to stay here because they're on probation. And, yeah. and just all the things that people don't think about, like there's the interconnectivity going back to, you can trace it back to at an early stage and what's our preventative measures, right? I was at, uh, was it, I think Alabama um, are really investing, as a state investing in the pre-K. I think I saw that video um, that they were talking about. Again, blows my mind. All the data says if pre-kindergarten, you don't get kids up to here, like it's, 
alarming. Mm -hmm. The numbers, what happens. So when you know that, again, how, why aren't we doing what it's costing us here, especially the fact that, again, what does it cost to, to house a prisoner? All these things, like, it's not a, it's a reinvestment. Either you're going to pay for it here or you invest it here. Yeah. And what sense does it make? And especially when we sit on these values of these Midwestern values and stuff like that, if we really care, let's go back and prevent it when you have a greater likelihood. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, we don't have to stay in prison the whole time, but the reason why this is one of the prominent thoughts for me is because when you think about Midwestern principles, and particularly conservative principles, let's just say that that's the preeminent uh, principle set right now. We talk about family structure, we talk about fiscal responsibility, and we talk about liberty, right? If we're talking about a situation where we have what is represented, what represents many, many, many broken homes in that situation, for people being in there and coming out in a situation where they can't re-enter their homes, they're not ready to even do that. We're talking about a situation where we're throwing good money after bad. Most of these people come out and get back after we've housed them for that period of time. We usually we spend uh, uh, twice as much to house an inmate than we do to educate a child. These are things that just don't really make sense. And so when we're not having those conversations in that way to say, how do we design this? How do we make it? And not again, not in the context of anybody else. When, when people are in there, if we were to say to somebody, and this is what I ask people all the time, if I were to just to say, if you wanted to heal all the things that went into putting someone in prison, broken homes, lack of education, lack of uh, guidance, mentorship, all those other type of things. And I said, I want you to create a space that's gonna undo all that pain, trauma, and neglect that leads to people being in this space. I don't know what you would come up with, but I can guarantee it'd be 100% the opposite of prison. You would never in a million years to design that for the result that we say that we want. And that's what I mean by visionary community where we're, we're getting in here and we're saying what is the result that we want and reverse engineer that into what we can do today to build to that so we can create that future that we say we want mm -hmm. yeah, that's that's for me my my big thing that if i this that is concerning for me uh being on the board at promising futures i've gotten really intimate with our underserved neighborhoods or title one schools right and so you go back into it and you know, I'm concerned uh, within our teaching system because, you know, these kids are coming out different, uh, different challenges. And what, just ask yourself the, the question, what happens if you, if we're short on teachers? Which we are. And if that trend continues, like what happens when that happens? And I can go into these schools, like my daughter goes to uh, the most diverse elementary and those teachers do such an amazing job. I'm just such a huge fan of Annie Sullivan because of, of the ask of these teachers. You have these kids coming in who don't speak the language. I mean, just having to do all the care and consideration. But at a broader scale, there's 10 Title I elementary neighborhoods. And so these are neighborhoods that we know are underserved, under-resourced, so, and ask ourselves, again, where does crime come from? Mm -hmm. Poverty. So as we ask ourselves, and we keep growing wider and wider, right? West, South, Sioux Falls is growing, and that's the easy part. It's easy to just go ahead and buy a house south of 69th street and you, you you never see that you don't go into those neighborhoods and then all of a sudden like as of today there's not a neighborhood that i wouldn't walk down at any time of night i have no issues with that not long and that's gonna that's gonna change you have to be mindful of that so you know that part of it of of how do we have that shared responsibility because again as we sit here and, and especially those who are in a position to do something about it 
when this and if this community became something that we don't want and now it's not something that you can hand over to your kid, we have to look ourselves in the mirror and say, did we do enough? Now, there's a lot of people doing something, but again, really to move that forward, that's going to take people stepping out beyond their comfort zone. So that's kind of my last question on that is, is really like as we look forward to obviously we're all in, in positions of leadership and what we do in various scopes like that. What is what is a I don't want to use the word radical just throwing it out there, but what's a radical step? You got three more years in office. What are you hoping to maybe try to do to help spur either some momentum to make sure we don't end up in a space where we are not? Man, that's a great question. Um, and it's a heavy one. And the, the interesting thing about an office like mayor or, or president of the United States where there's term limits or governor, each day you waste your one day closer to the end. And it's not like you're in the Senate, like, ah, oh, I may serve another term. I mean, it's like, mm -hmm. you know exactly how long you got. So the, the haunting of, man, well, I have done enough when it gets done. Um, and well, I've done everything I could have is something that that also keeps me awake at night. You may think I don't sleep at all because all these things keep me awake at night. I tell you, that was the original intent of kicking off the Sioux 52 mentorship initiatives to get people fired up about mentoring and serving. Because you said something a few minutes ago about compassion and distance. I forget yeah, what You can't have compassion from a distance. You can't have compassion from a distance. So I can I can feel bad for some of those those kids who don't have a father figure in their life who are going to a Title I school, but until I actually go in that school and talk with that kid and mentor him or her and uh, get to know him, uh, it's gonna be hard for me to wanna make change. So I think you're gonna just continue to see me personally just be bullish on mentorship and getting your hands dirty. And we're a pretty philanthropic Obviously. city uh, from a financial standpoint, but um, I need a lot more people just to get their hands dirty and to not judge from a distance, but actually get involved. And, and you know, Vani's been out there with me before. I mean, I'm going up to, this, to the penitentiary again in two weeks to mm -hmm. you know, see some guys up there, just because like, I gotta get close to the source, hear from the challenges, sure. see the environment they're living in, because only then can I have compassion on the outside with felon-friendly housing that we need and job rehabilitation programs and this other stuff, like, but for going in there and seeing the plight of some of these guys that are eventually going to be out. Um, I couldn't be making the policies and doing the things and advocating for stuff that I know needs to be done. So probably a good topic. I mean, we're, we're talking about, you know, crime and public safety and things, probably a whole nother topic we'll have at some point. But I think the bottom line, we talk about how do you create a community that um, you will still recognize in the future, uh, not to get too simple, but it's just a it's a we thing. It's not elected officials' responsibility solely. It's our responsibility, but it's the community's responsibility to do that. And we see more people to put their hands up and say, hey, I'm willing to, you know, willing to dive in and serve in this way or that way. Yeah. So. Your thing. Uh, for me, it is, I think, technically, just right now there's a bunch of stuff into it, but it's a, like a community camp type situation. I personally think two hours every day for every child that's in school should be towards developing, understanding, analyzing, and planning a community, two hours every day. Civics without the context of why that stuff is important to what it pertains today is not terribly useful. A large portion of what people are learning is retention-based knowledge. And anything based on memory, I just think has less importance because we, can act, we have supercomputers in our pockets 
we can access all of those different type of things. For me, it is how a person thinks. It is how a person approaches problems. It is how they articulate, communicate, and receive uh, communication on, on issues, how they vision, how they think about their community, the elements of it, how they could be educated on all the time. By the time you graduate high school, the community that you in, you should know how all of it works. You, ha you should have met most of the department heads of most of the major uh, 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 areas. You should have a general idea of how it is funded, how it is paid for, how it is processed, and you should have had participated in some way in the designing of that thing. Some type of visual, some type of component, some type of input where you expect it, where you expect to, for somebody to come get your input and you're expected to give your input in a thoughtful way. How do you actually communicate in a way that a person can actually receive what you're saying? Those are skills that we don't teach and those are the most important skills that people need. And I like to see an adult version. I like to see us take the, uh, I like to see us take our event centers and those type of things and a couple times a year, book those things out for a couple days, invite thousands of people to come and be a part of designing this thing, inputting into this thing, and kind of creating what this thing is. I don't know any other way that we can create that without getting people back to the idea of civitas. You don't just get to want things. You're not a consumer, you're a citizen. You gotta do stuff, participate, and we have to work to make sure people are knowledgeable and have the skill set to be able to do that effectively. Yeah. Mine would be uh, go back to the neighborhoods. So obviously we, we, we launched the Sioux Falls Neighborhood Soccer League, which was a starting point. Like that was just a, a seedling in that because you go back to these, these underserved neighborhoods, there's layers to that, right? There's people that live in that neighborhood. We've lost that, that uh, connectivity of Miss Johnson up the street and this, that respect and that connection, right? So in this model, uh, you know, we're, uh, an empowerment model, a neighborhood empowerment model, how do we empower them? Because we're not just showing up and giving them, we're showing them a path. Our philanthropic mo uh, mantra is building a ladder of success for those who are willing to climb it. Can we start to pour in financial literacy classes in there free? Can you start to show them pathways to home ownership? Can you start to give them leadership development? Those type of things. Could you start to, with, again, I'm, I'm super excited about the, the superintendent we have because for the first time in my lifetime, it seems like there's a collaborative effort collectively versus this is ours. And that, now you have, what happens if you can start to invite in retired Miss Johnson and, and James to come volunteer in their neighborhood? Now, when there's a connectivity of that third grader and Miss Johnson, when he becomes a teenager, he's not going to go mess up our lawn and do the various things. There's a connectivity. I think we can start to create these micro communities back from within the communities off the backside of neighborhood soccer, where there's a connectivity. We're building, um, you know, um, picnics and, and, and block parties and those type of things, building that sense of pride in areas. They may not have the finances and all that type of stuff, but the neighborhood empowerment model, I think will help ensure that we land the plane well, so. Good stuff, good stuff. Well, of course, we are choosing to wrap the conversation right now. That doesn't mean you have to, so get into those comments and talk. Make sure you do so kindly, thoughtfully, compassionately, and respectfully. Seek first to understand, then be understood. And then make sure you like and subscribe so you get all of this information ASAP, and then share it so people can be a part of the conversation as well. Until next time, Burden of Leadership.